Well, it really uh, has been a pleasure to be with you, friends, this weekend. Um, it's good to uh, yeah, get to know the faith congregation, and uh, thank you for your warmth, your welcome to our family. Uh, we're leaving this afternoon with uh, really good, fond memories of our time with you, and we do want to continue to uh, pray for you as a congregation, I'm thinking here, especially over the next two weeks, we'll be interested to hear uh, how the Lord leads um, these, these next two weeks. But thanks again for, uh, for your invitation and uh, welcome here these, this weekend. In 2020, February of 2020, our family went to Ottawa, the national capital in Canada, and we go there every few years. We have family there, and one of the events that we really enjoy in the wintertime is skating on the Rideau Canal. Uh, the Rideau Canal um, goes through Ottawa. It's about eight kilometers in length, and during January, February, as long as the weather is suitable, it gets opened into a giant skating rink, and you can skate, well, for eight kilometers, five miles or so, uh, along there. And it's a very popular event. Um, there's lots of food booths that get set up along the water or on the ice, and just a really enjoyable time as a family to skate along. And this was in February um, 2020, and we were there, and it was busy. Uh, this was just before COVID, and um, we were skating along as a family, and we got to one point where there was a, a grouping of, of uh, sort of food uh, stalls, and so there was a big crowd there. We, some of us decided to go in, and, and suddenly we, we realized that our eight-year-old, Elliot, was not with us. Uh, we, I think we'd gotten some, um, they often had free drinks along the way, and we'd had some apple cider there, and and we realized that Elliot was not with us. And um, it was, so we started looking, of course, around there for him. There's lots of people around. And it was also at a place where the canal had a, a junction and where we really didn't know which direction he might have gone. And I remember the feeling as a father, that feeling of, I don't know where my son is. And it wasn't a very good feeling. We looked around for a bit, but soon realized that the more time that elapsed, the further he might be separated from us. And so we did something that I hoped I wouldn't have to do in my, as a father and go to um, the authorities there and report a lost child. Um, and I remember the questions they asked. They wanted to know what he was wearing and I didn't pay attention that morning to what he was wearing. I don't know what color his coat was. Or, um, so we reported, and thankfully it wasn't too long uh, until he was found and he was safe, and we were reunited again as a family. But that feeling of lostness is not one that is comfortable, is enjoyable. Growing up, I had a picture in my room, small bedroom, and at the, at the, on the wall 
where I looked at each night was a picture of a lost sheep. And you might have seen this picture. It's a really steep, steep slope there, hills, sort of blue hills in the background. And there is this sheep that is on this ledge. And you can imagine how it might have fallen there, but you can't imagine how it's ever going to find its way out of there. Except there is another person in that picture as well. There is a shepherd who is leaning down with his staff, reaching for that lost sheep. And I remember as a child growing up thinking about that, that lost sheep, the precarious place that that sheep was in. But I also saw the shepherd, who was also in a precarious place, in a dangerous place, reaching for that sheep. And I had to ponder what sort of shepherd would go about putting himself in such a place as that to rescue a sheep. This morning, we want to consider um, that good shepherd. And I just, this is not a new message for any of us, probably. It's a reminder message of the heart of the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. And we're going to be um, looking at two stories that... Jesus gave. You can turn to Luke 15. I love the fact that Jesus used stories to communicate truth. And these were two stories that Jesus told. There's three in this pass in this chapter. We're just going to be looking at two. And I, I love these stories, probably two of my favorite stories in Scripture, of lost and found. We're going to first look at the audience of these stories. Let's read the first um, three verses, two verses, uh, in, uh, from Luke 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable parable to them. This is the audience that Jesus is speaking to. On the one hand, we have the publicans and the sinners. These were the lowest of the low. They were, the publicans were those traitor um, Roman puppets that were collecting the taxes. Um, They often were involved in criminal activity or were taking money for themselves that did not belong to them, not a respectable crowd, and they associated with the sinners, those who were known to be involved in, in sinful activity. So that's on, on one hand who was with Jesus, and we often see Jesus with this crowd. They were attracted to him, and he was with them. On the other hand... We have the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the, the self-appointed elite, the, the religious rulers, the, the powerful, the influential. They, they cared a lot about their power, their influence, their appearance. And so two very different crowds 
here that Jesus was with here. And it seems that um, it was the activity of this second crowd, the, the scribes and the Pharisees who prompted these stories. We'll see here, you see here that what was the second group doing here when they saw Jesus associating with these sinners and publicans? It says they were complaining. Some translations say they were murmuring. Some translations say they were muttering. They were not happy about this, this rabbi spending time with these sinners. They were, they were disgusted by it. And the fact it says that he even, this man receives sinners and eats with them, that the, the, the act of eating a meal with someone was an extension of friendship. A, a, it spoke of, of Jesus' friendship with them, and this caused them to murmur, these, these religious rulers to be murmuring and complaining. And so this prompts Jesus, as he hears these these people who felt very righteous, when they saw Jesus associating with the sinners, it prompted these stories. And so we're going to look at the first and the third story, where, again, I want us to see anew the heart of the shepherd and the heart of the father. The first story, let's read this one that Jesus told Verse 4 of Luke 15. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who needs no repentance. Dividing this story into three parts, the shepherd's sheep, the shepherd's search, and the shepherd's response. The shepherd's sheep. I'm no expert in sheep. My wife used to have a flock of sheep bought a flock to raise enough money so she could go to SMBI, I think is the story there. I had them for two years and then sold them. So she knows more about sheep than I do. My brother-in-law has a large flock of sheep. But mine, I know enough about sheep to know that it's not a compliment, really, to call someone a sheep. All right? They're pretty stupid animals, uh, for the most part. They, they wander. Uh, they can get lost. Um, directionally challenged, and uh, you know there's there's a reason why you see collies who are trained to herd sheep as a instead of the reverse. You don't see people training sheep to do activities because they are not really um, smart. We all are like sheep. You know that? Sorry about that. That's the bad news, I guess. Um, scripture says we all are like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The other thing that I 
recognize about sheep is that they're really vulnerable creatures. So they're not very well able to defend, uh, rescue um, themselves when they get into predicaments. We also are in that similar stage as sheep that we can't rescue ourselves. We can't get ourselves out of, um, can't save ourselves. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we all are in that state of needing to be rescued. So that's the shepherd's sheep. The second point, the shepherd's search. This shepherd knows his flock, he knows his sheep, and he has come home. Presumably, they've been out in the hills through the day, and he comes home, and he counts his sheep and recognizes that there are 99 sheep there, and there's one that is lost. And so he leaves the 99 to go out to look for that one lost sheep. And you might say to the shepherd, really, are you, do you, are you really going to do that? Like, what about... What about you wait until tomorrow? When you go out pasture, past out that way again tomorrow, meh, why don't you see if the sheep is still there? Rescue the sheep at that time. Maybe the sheep can find its way home. Or does the sheep even deserve to be rescued? Maybe you should just leave it there. You have 99 others. Why are you caring about the one? No, the shepherd doesn't think those thoughts. Rather, the shepherd leaves the 99, goes out, goes out through the green pastures, probably retracing its steps through the day, uh, beside the still waters, through the lonely, dark valley, and there finds a sheep, lost, lonely, scared, in danger of death. Third, the shepherd's response. How does the shepherd respond? Well, I can think of some ways that a shepherd might respond. It might rebuke the sheep, verbally lash out at the sheep. You stupid sheep, what were you thinking? Why did you find yourself in such a predicament as this? Why did you, why did you wander away? What were you thinking? Look what you made me do. I had to leave the others and come and put myself in danger to rescue you. The shepherd could rebuke the sheep. Or the shepherd could punish it. I'm going to kick the sheep. Again, you should not be in a place like this. You're disobedient. When we get back home, I'm going to whip you. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to teach you not to wander. You need to suffer for the mistake. Or the, sheep could, or the shepherd could be disgusted by this sheep. Possibly the sheep was dirty, and I'm not going to carry home a dirty sheep. Maybe it's wet. Sheep, you need to clean yourself up, and only when you are cleaned up am I going to, as your shepherd, going to carry you back. I don't carry dirty sheep. You clean yourself up, and only then will I carry you back. You're filthy and smelling. I'm disgusted by you. Or the shepherd could take the response, sorry, sheep, you wandered. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to reject you. 
I don't want you in my flock. There's 99 others that I have. You're a bother. You're polluting the flock. Look how you made me look here having to go wander after a sheep. You're not worth keeping. Does the shepherd rebuke the sheep? Does the shepherd punish the sheep? Is it disgusted by the sheep? Does it reject the sheep and sell it? Listen to what the shepherd does, verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Did you hear that? Lays it on, its shoulder, on his shoulders, rejoicing. He rescues it from its lostness and begins the long walk home, carrying it on his shoulders. Do you see the love of the shepherd here this morning in this story? Do you see the compassion of the shepherd? He does not rebuke the sheep, doesn't punish it, isn't disgusted by it, doesn't sell it. He doesn't even make the sheep walk home on its own or walk beside him. He carries him on his shoulder home. And do you see the joy of the shepherd in this? He's not disgusted by it. He's rejoicing that the lost has been found. We all are like sheep, as I said already. We're all prone to wander. There's the song we sometimes sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all have the propensity to wander. And I think, or I know for, my, for myself, I can feel this need to, to somehow, when I, when I do, when I have wandered, to feel I need to hide from the shepherd. Because, well, is he going to be disgusted by me? Is he going to be reject? Is he going to reject me? Is he going to punish me? We often anticipate those other responses. We cower afraid. We don't want to expose ourselves to the good shepherd. I want us to see the heart of the shepherd who loves to rescue those who have wandered, those who are lost. The shepherd loves to rescue lost sheep. The shepherd will do anything to rescue the lost sheep. The shepherd has done everything to rescue the lost sheep. You have value and worth in the shepherd's heart. The shepherd loves you. Jesus loves you. He paid the ultimate price, his life, so that he could rescue the lost. Verse 7 repeats this joy of the shepherd. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Again, you might think this morning, you know, Richard, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know how dirty, how smelly, how wandering I have been. Um, I've, I'm, I'm too much of a failure. I've, I've wandered too far. He can't. You don't know what I've done. I'm too, too lost. 
I think of the passage in Isaiah 55, and let me just read it to you, that says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, and this is the part that I love, for he will abundantly pardon. This is written to the wicked. Let the wicked forsake his way, for he will abundantly pardon. If we didn't get the message in that one story there that Jesus told, he tells another story. And we're going to skip over the parable of the lost coin and look at the second story that Jesus told. And I think, uh, I think we will um, assume here this morning, actually, let's read it here. And it's a good reminder for us of the story. The parable of the last, lost son. Verse 11. The second story that Jesus, or the third story that Jesus told here. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father." And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has, he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. He, so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. I was right that we should, sorry, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Story of two brothers and their father. I know I often miss the, some of the 
important context for this story. Middle Eastern, first century. Um, the culture here is that of honor and shame. And that's a significant, significant part of this story. I don't know how much you know about honor-shame societies. Um, we live in a guilt-innocent society. Someone does wrong, they're guilty. They haven't done wrong, they're innocent. In this culture, it was much more if you caused shame, you'd done wrong. If you caused honor, you did what was right. Uh, you had done something right. And so you did everything you could to not bring shame to yourself, to your family. You wanted instead to, to bring honor to your family. We, uh, in the last five years as a congregation, have sponsored several families from the Middle East, from Syria, and most recently from Pakistan. And it's been really intriguing walking with them, um, getting to know them, helping them. And they come from an, uh, a culture of honor and shame. And it's been challenging for us to to work with them in some cases because lying to us is okay if it maintains honor uh, as long as it doesn't bring shame to them. And so truth-telling is um, we've experienced where it's been very clear that they were not telling the truth, but it maintained their honor. It did not bring shame to them um, in the process. Again, very different for us to think uh, in terms of honor and shame. And we have to think about that in this story. This request of this younger son is an outrageous request. It's outrageous what he's asking for. First of all, he's the younger son. The younger son should never be asking for the, his half. I mean, if anyone is going to, it'd be the older son first. Furthermore, so he's out of rank, Furthermore, the estate would be divided when the father dies. And so really what the young son is saying to his father is, Father, I wish you were dead. I want you dead so that I can get my estate. Furthermore, it's clear from the son what he wants to do with the estate. This estate, probably as most Middle Eastern first century estates would have been in the family for generations, passed on long history of, of being in the same family. What does the son want to do? He wants to sell it. He wants to liquidate the property. This property that's been you know, significant for the family. This is an incredibly shameful request for the young son. To, to request something like this and want to, to liquidate it, it would have brought incredible shame to the father, to the family, to have this happen. Furthermore, we know what the son did with it. He, when he did liquidate it, he, he, he squanders it in reckless live, living. He absolutely wastes it. He goes right to the bottom for a Jewish man. He's, he's, he's as low as you can go. He's in a pig pen. He, he wants to eat the food of, of the pigs. He's starving there. Incredible shame for the family. Incredible shame for the father to have a son act in this way. This is, this is desperation for the young son. He's poor, he's destitute, hungry, hopeless, and dying. And so 
as Jesus is telling this story, most likely those who would have been listening to the story would have said, all right, there has to be some way here for the father to regain honor in this story. There has to be some way for the shame, uh, for the father to regain his, his honor. How is this going to happen? You know, in a shame-honor culture, often, or not often, thankfully, but at times, one of the ways to regain honor for a family is to kill um, those who have caused shame. It's called an honor killing. There was a well-known case in um, about a decade ago in Canada, in Kingston, where a father caused, and I don't even remember the details of it, but caused his wife and girls, and I don't even know what the crime was that they had done, but he caused them to drive off into um, Lake Ontario and drowned. And it was, uh, it was an honor killing. He, they had somehow caused shame for him, and he was to, out to regain honor. The, the audience here, these publican or the Pharisees, would have been thinking, how is the father going to regain honor in such a shameful um, situation as, as he is here? Jesus has, has inv invented, in, in many ways, the ultimate sinner. Well, what happens in the story? First of all, we see the, the son coming to his senses. That's the first step of repentance right there, is to come and realize your state, where you're at, and what needs to happen. He comes to a sentence, and then he starts to home, for home. He, that's, again, I like to think of repentance as that, that U-turn. And he has turned and done a 180 and is going back. He's heading back to the father, coming back in his, his filthy, pig-smelling clothes. What, is the, what are the Pharisees expecting here from this, from this story? I think they're probably thinking that the father is somehow going to punish his son in such a way to regain honor to the family. They're expecting somehow he, maybe if he doesn't punish him physically, maybe he, he is going to make him a slave. Slave for life. No longer a son. You're, uh, you are going to make... Um, somehow re we're going to regain honor here from such a shameful act as you have done. Is that what we see here in the story of the father? What do we see? Let's look at it. We see, first of all, the father watching. Obviously, or it seems to me that he is, he's been watching. He's been looking for his son to come home. When he sees his son, he does something that's really um, shameful in this society. A father, probably in his robes, um, starts to run, and that wasn't done in this culture. Um, the, the, the Greek here has the idea of sprinting, so this isn't just a little, you know, I'm going to go. This is a, a, a run, and you know what happens with your robes, I guess, when you run is uh, you start to expose your legs. Really, really shameful for this father, but it gives you the sense of, of what he's doing here. And then when he gets to his smelly son, he embraces him. He hugs him, he kisses him. The father is absorbing all the shame from this situation. He is, it's, it's in no doubt that he is fully receiving his son back as his son. He gets the best robe, possibly an heirloom. These robes would have been passed on, and he puts around his son. We see him giving him a, 
the ring. In some settings, this would have been sort of like giving him the key to the estate. He puts on his shoes. Shoes were those who had responsibility wore shoes or sandals. He had those. And then he kills the fatted calf, the biggest for the biggest and best occasion. This story ends here as it began with murmuring, with muttering. And it was the not the Pharisees who were muttering, as we saw at the beginning of the story, but we see the, the older son who is muttering, who is upset at what has transpired in this, in this account of the father receiving back the lost in the same way that the Pharisees were upset at Jesus associating and welcoming sinners did the Pharisees see themselves in the story? I think they must have. I think they did. They saw themselves as the older brother there. But do we see the heart of the father here in what he did in welcoming the lost home? The story doesn't end there. I mean, Jesus' parable ends there. But we see the story unfold then, probably several months later, where it seems to me that there was an honor killing on a hill with a cross, where the Pharisees, as the older son, sought to somehow bring honor back to this shameful rabbi who was associating with sinners, who was causing um, an upset to their way. And thereon was considered the most shameful of torture of, of execution across Jesus died most shameful of deaths laid down his life so that he might be able to rescue the lost the lost sheep the lost son and all of us do you see the heart of the father here this these stories two stories of being lost and found in the heart of the father of the good shepherd who longs to welcome the lost home. Where are you in the story? You, uh, the lost sheep, the wandering sheep who is trying not to expose yourself to the, father, to the shepherd because you're afraid of what the shepherd will do. You see the heart of the shepherd here this morning. Or the younger son running to the Father, and we're ready for the embrace of the Father. Or the older son, the Pharisees, who say, you know what, I can take care of myself. I'm not in need to be rescued. One of the songs that has been meaningful to our family and to our church family the last couple of years is the song, Jesus Strong and Kind. I'm just curious here, who knows this song? All right, I see one hand. That's good um, that we have one, but I, my, fa our, my family knows it as well. And it's a song that speaks of, well, being thirsty, weak, fearful, and lost. And this, this, the heart of the Father who loves us and has gone to great lengths for us and that we can always 
run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. So I'm going to invite my family up here, and we will sing this song. I thought if there's others who know it, you can, and if there is others who know it, you can sing along with us as well. And um, this is not an eye chart up here, although it probably could be. You probably need about 20-20 vision from the back to be able to read this. Uh, we'll just uh, stand over here.